Hello everyone and welcome to the uh, Urban Homestead in UK podcast. It's Alan here with my friend Mike. How are you doing, Mike? All right. Lovely. We thought we'd try something a little bit different tonight. We're gonna. We're actually. Together. What location, mate? What we are, location? We are on location. We are out doing the honey extraction tonight. We've uh, actually done the honey harvest in the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we thought we'd get together tonight and actually start extracting the honey. And I reckon it's going to take us a couple of nights because we've got quite a bit to get through. So thought we'd chat to you while we're doing it and uh, you know, sort of tell you We'll bring people too. in, mate, to yeah. the secret world. <laughs> the secret world. We'll try and invite you into our little world of beekeeping and, and the extraction of the honey here. So we've got, what is it, about seven supers, I suppose, of honey this year? About, yeah. So supers are the little boxes uh, on the top of the main colony where the bees can only store honey. So there's a... There's a special slotted excluder which stops the queen going up and laying eggs up there. How does it stop her getting up there, mate? Because she's fat. <laughs> she's got a big old belly on her and she don't fit through. So basically what that means is that for the beekeepers, it's much easier to um, extract honey because we can we know that there are no lava or eggs or anything in these. These are just pure honey. I, I want to paint people a picture, mate. Go on, mate. You go. So we're in this warmed room. It's night. It's about... Eight o'clock, half eight, and already the whole place just smells absolutely amazing of honey. And uh, we keep it in a warmed room so that obviously the honey flows better when it's warm. Um, And what we're going to basically do is we have uh, a special kind of fork which we unpick the uh, combs with. And what we'll do is we'll put a load of pictures to go with this podcast out. People can go on their Instagram and Facebook and have a look. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just unpicking the top of the cones and then what we do is we basically put them in what is a big centrifugal spinner. Once we've got them in there, we go round and round and all the honey gets flung out to the sides, the cones stay intact and once the spinner starts to fill up, then we start to drain it off. And each super probably has about, I'd say between what? 25, maybe 20 jars. Between 25 and 30 jars, maybe, if they're really well drawn out. I don't know. I th- I, yeah, sometimes. It depends, really. Because yeah. sometimes you get nice big fat combs, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I always reckon it's about 20 jars, 20 to 25 jars. But yeah. but the smell in the, in these supers is just magnificent, I have yeah. to say. There's nothing like it. And it's one of those things that you can't tell people. It's when you start out on this beekeeping road, there's these little magical moments in there. The first time you take honey off the comb, the first time you jar your own honey. And I have to say, I had one this year because normally we just use our honey for ourselves. It was the first year we've actually sold it. But having my own label has oh, been yeah. really nice. Yeah. You know, and uh, I've been uh, selling a bit of honey to a few people. And it, it just, it, it's been a really nice thing to do. So, um, so yeah, Alan's just uncapping a few of these combs. Yeah. So we, I went out to uh, one of our out apiaries, what was it, a week ago, Saturday? So yeah. about 10 days ago now, I suppose, as we're recording this. Uh, we've only got two colonies out there, mate. We started th- the year with three out there. We're down to two. Uh, unfortunately, we had a bit of a, an issue with one of the colonies over winter and whatever, but it was, you know, it's what it is. Uh, so I went out to have a look at them and just to check who we were at. And unfortunately, where we started out uh, when I looked back in July... Uh, and everything was looking really hunky-dory. One of the colonies, I don't know how on earth it's happened. I really don't. Because uh, I remember seeing the Queen, but she got on the wrong side of the excluder. Yeah, so this, you know, it just so, happens every now and then, don't yeah, it? These yeah, little well, things do happen in beekeeping. Genuinely have no idea, because I definitely remember seeing her, like, fat and round. Because I, when I looked in there before, they, they, they'd superseded. So they'd had a new Queen born this year. 
Yeah. And I've, and I've gone in there and I, I saw what was going on. I think possibly we lost a, a really early swarm back in like late April, maybe. Well, we know we lose swarms. Yeah. We are probably the busiest beekeepers ever. Yeah, right? we're a beekeeping association's nightmare <laughs> because we do it. Which fits around how we work, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it we don't, we're not out there checking every nine days for queen cells and things like this because no. we just can't do it that way. So we overkeep hives, and like what we've spoke about before, we lose a few swarms every year, but we get a few swarms every yeah, year, yeah. And, and that keeps us well in. But gradually, over the last few years, we've been increasing our stock, haven't we, without shadow of a yeah, doubt, yeah. and just trying to get as many um, colonies you know, productive as we can. And yeah. I always think our bees are really happy, mate. That's, yeah. Well, it seems to be. I mean, yeah, that, that, those colonies we got out of that out, uh, apiary, the one obviously lost the queen, and then I remember looking through it back in, I think it's probably early July, late June, something like that, and mm. I remember looking in there and going, oh, this doesn't look great, and then wondering if it was because there's no, no uh, larvae in there at all, no eggs to be seen. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is not looking great. And then all of a sudden, there was the queen, fat and in the middle of looking one of the frames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, looking, you know, looking really good, and... Obviously, just getting going. I've just timed it right, and she obviously just got back from a mating flight or something like that. Yeah. And uh, you know, just about to start laying. Yeah. And she has started laying now. I can confirm that. But unfortunately, she started laying in the super, so we had yeah. a load of um, capped brood up in the super. So yeah. I had to put that back. There's a lot of terminology when it comes to beekeeping, which you know is like a whole different language. But really, it is quite simple, isn't it? You know, it's, it's not that hard, is it? Right. We're, so we're up to four. This this no, more, this yeah this extractor we've got takes four cones, um, and then once we've got the four frames or four cones in there, we'll spin it out. Uh, there will it will be a bit stop and start this podcast because. The extractor's really noisy, but we'll give you a listen to it first time anyway. <laughs> give people an ear, yeah. earache, innit? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're, and obviously we, uh, we're putting this out now in September. Some beekeepers take their honey off in August. Yeah. Some people take it off in spring. Yeah. You know, um, different um, plants produce nectar at different times. So if your, your colonies of bees are sited in somewhere where the pollen and the nectar is early, then you might want to take your honey off at different times. And certainly, you know, around where we live in the south south of England, in the UK, um, there are oilseed rape fields around here, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. And that honey needs to come off really early because it, uh, it granulates or sets on the comb. And if you don't get it off early, you ain't ever getting it off, are you? No. It, it just goes rock hard and, and it's no good to man or beast. But if you get it early, it can be very productive because it's one of those crops... Where it all comes at once, but I a think lot of people really like obviously rape honey as well. Yeah, I quite like it's it. An acquired taste, but I think. Yeah, and also if if we're honest, and you know, one of the things we try and do with our honey is, you know, we're we're pushing the medicinal benefits. Yeah. And a lot of people are really allergic, you know, oh, hay okay. fever wise. Yeah. To oilseed rape honey, yeah. so there is a school of thought which says that if you eat honey from the local area, yeah, it's made from the local plants, and if you eat it all year, you can build up. A bit of natural resistance yeah. to some of those. And I can say without shadow of a doubt, that has certainly happened to me. Yeah. I was probably, oh man, I was the most allergic child going. Seriously, this time really? of year was awful for me. Oh, I'm struggling at the minute. And I know that I have been, since I became a beekeeper, I have become far less troubled by my hay fever. Now, whether that's just all in my mind or whatever, I don't know, but mm. you know. It seems to be too much. It helps, it helps, mate. It doesn't matter whether it's in your mind or not, does it? So, so we've, we've, we've done four now, and as we pick off the, what they call the cap-in, so, you know, we're opening all the little tubes or the little um, 
cells in the foundation uh, in the honeycomb so that the honey can run out. As we're unpicking that, the cappings or the scrapings, we're putting in a tray and none of that will go to waste. We'll end up draining that of all of the wax and the, um, sorry, all of the honey that's in it. And we'll end up using that then um, wash the wax, wash the wax and we'll make things out of it, candles and beeswax yeah. and stuff like that. We're going to give you a listen now to the extractor so you're getting the full effect. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> well, where's the lid, bro? Yeah, you know. Two lids. Two lids. On and the then road. you can buy, if you're, if you're uh, high-tech, you can buy motorised extractors and all sorts of things. But we've got... Well, we're going to eat all of this honey, aren't we? So we better do a workout. So we've got a manual extractor. So it's all artisan. That's oh, what I say. Hand-extracted. Hand-extracted honey. So, yeah. I've greased it up so it shouldn't make too much of a noise. So there's definitely an optimum speed for this, and if you go too fast, it will definitely break the codes, won't it? Yeah, it's yeah, actually really quiet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, actually. They kind of blow out, don't they? Yeah, they go do. too fast. Let's give it time a bit. Yeah, defo. I'm going to bring the phone over a bit so people can hear it because we're recording this, but that whirring noise is the extractor going round. Yeah. Like that. And, yeah, you don't want to go too fast. Now, obviously, because the combs are two-sided, we do one side and then we turn them over and do the other side and it's quite, it's quite surprisingly effective, isn't it? Yeah, it's surprisingly effective and like a lot of things that we do, I actually don't want a mechanical extractor. Oh no. I'd hate to have, I'd hate to have one which, uh, you know, had a motor on it, it would take all the joy of it out of me. Unless we were extracting on 500 yards or something. When we're old, mate, when we're old, <laughs> we've got, when we've got a big beef on, yeah. both, our, both our retirement plans are certainly to have you know, a whole honey, a honey farm, honey farmers. Yeah. So if I can describe it to you, what's happening is there's these golden threads being flung out, which then hit the side of the extraction tank and run down the side. Yeah. And the smell in here is. I hope you bought some bread, mate, because I no. What do you mean you haven't bought any bread? I was going to bring a lump of sourdough, and I completely forgot. I was looking forward to a lump of your sourdough. Sorry, mate. That's all right. I just kept looking at it and going, I must bring that, and then I ran out of the door. I'll just have to use my fingers. I've got a load of other stuff for you. So look, I very nearly went too fast on this one. Oh yeah. So we've got to be careful with that. Now, the good thing though, with bee frames and combs, is that the bees. You know, they don't mind us putting it all back a bit tatty. Um, and obviously we won't get every single last morsel of honey out. So what we will do after we've extracted all these combs is we'll actually take them back out to the bees and they'll clean them all up and they'll get them all ready for uh, next year, which is really good. Um, and then, depending on how, how we're feeling, we sometimes leave them on all year and other times we will um, bring them in and store them. But it's much easier if you can keep them on the hives because they don't sort of rot or get fungal stuff going on. I was going a bit too fast now, I think. Yeah, well, it's well, so yeah. practice, you see. It's all decided, mate. That's all it is. It's, it's what it is. To smell of honey in the air, man. It's it like shark blood in the water to sharks. It is, and it is certainly um, a real ritual, mm. and I love that. Mm. You know, before, when we've talked to people on the podcast, We've spoke about these annual rhythms, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. And for me, you know, like a lot of people when they get the pumpkins in and stuff like that, the honey harvest is like, yeah. you know, I wish I was a farmer and I would get the hay in or something like that, but this is my equivalent, you know what I mean? Yeah. The honey harvest is this, just lovely. This, this and the cider making, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks. Yeah, the cider making is up there as well, isn't it? But, you know, to sort of touch base where, where we are, 
this isn't something that you have to do in the countryside. You could do this on the flat roof of a house. We had a chap at our work who was asking us about it. If you've got a decent flat roof on a house in the middle of the town, you can certainly keep a couple of colonies of bees. There's absolutely no problem. And in fact, a lot of people do. You know, you only have to go on Instagram and type in, you know, London beekeepers and see where all of their bees are sighted and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, to see that you can keep bees anywhere. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to uncap the next lot. So I think what we'll do is have a little break there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll come back in a minute with a bit more info for people. Awesome. All right. So back again, we're obviously still here doing the bees and uh, the honey, but I um, just want to have a quick have a chat about what we've been up to, mate, like we normally would. So yeah. um, what you've been up to is we've last recorded about 11 days ago, which is a pretty quick turnaround for us. So yeah. have you been able to get much done in that time? I have. It has been really hot, mate, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's not rained here yeah. properly for probably two weeks now, isn't it? Yeah, at least that, yeah. And, and there's an issue with that because certainly a lot of the things that I'll be expecting to push on and start to put on a bit of growth ready for winter, you know, brassicas and all that, and I know we're going to talk about them later on. Yeah, yeah. They're looking a bit tired. You yeah. know, they haven't really put a lot on, you know. Nice. But, um, you know, if I start on the garden, um, what's been really interesting for me is that as I've sort of um, gone through this year, I'm, you know, the, especially the stuff that I'm growing at home, I've realised now that some of those beds I can't grow in, and I touched on that a, a little bit in the last yeah. episode. So I've been, what I would say, putting those beds to bed. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, clearing them of perennial, any perennial weeds that have started to creep in because even in the one year they've been there, I've got stinging nettles in there. Oh, yeah. 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 Just little, little tiny seedlings, they just pop up, they're self seeded, yeah. don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I put them in there and then I've already, um, even though they're on pure muck, I've already started to think about, well, what might I need to put in there to, to, to you know, restore some of that goodness that I've taken out? Because yeah. I have already, yeah, yeah. you know, I've grown a lot of quite. Um, hungry crops in those yeah. the broccoli I mean that, that yeah. was incredible yeah. so I haven't put anything in the way of more manure in there because it is pure muck yeah. more or less um, but I have put some soil improver in there yeah. and then one of the things I've also done is uh, I've tested the soil oh, okay. for pH yeah. um, to see if I needed to add anything um, and it came out at you know a good neutral so yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't think I need to add anything no. in the way of supplements and things like that um, and if anything, perhaps the soil was probably a bit too rich. So as I've been clearing some of my pots yeah. and my grow bags that I've had, you know, my tomato yeah. grow bags, because I don't do a lot of composting at home, yeah. I've been incorporating them into the beds. Yeah. Uh, and that's definitely loosened up the texture a little bit, which is what I was after because it was quite claggy because it was just pure muck, yeah. you know. Um, so that was it, was it was still a bit claggy. So I'm hoping that that will just carry on for, I reckon couple of years before I need to seriously think about it. I think if I were you, I'd be thinking about top dressing it as you go through. Yeah. That's ready now. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll take two more off, shall we, while we're chatting. So, yeah, if anything, I would think about top dressing it and making sure you keep that up rather than just sort of going, oh, it's spent now and starting again from scratch. Yeah. Just keep topping it up. So would you put more well-rotted manure on there this year? I'm not sure I would at this point. I think I'd probably go, if you had some good compost, I'd be putting that on there. Right. And I'd then then let the worms bring it down. The other thing you could consider is something you took to about soil improver. If you could get hold of a load of wood chips, yeah. And actually, you can do that for free if you uh, if you know what you're doing, yeah. Because there's um, there's a website called I think it's called Arb Talk, 
Right. Uh, and it's for landscapers and, and particularly arboriculturists. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that they put up on there, they've got stuff, uh, wood chips available. Mm -hmm. um, and what you can do is put your details on there and say, I want wood chips. And they'll send them to And they'll send them down. And what I find is in my town, in Seaford, where I live, um, we've got quite a few old deers and lots of trees. And we get mm. these these arboriculturists, you know, tree surgeons, whatever, going around. Yeah. And they'll go out in the morning. Yeah, shred it up. Shred it up. And then they've got a whole truck full of shredded yeah. wood chip, which they don't have to take back to the yard to deal with. Yeah. And they can start working all day if they dump it somewhere else. Yeah, so so what they'll do it. is they'll give people like me a ring. And then they'll be like, well, can we come and drop it round? And I'll say, yeah, bring it round, leave it on the drive. Uh, and then all of a sudden I've got five or six yeah. cubic metres of wood chip for nothing. What about, because um, I keep my chickens on deep litter. So obviously there's a lot of shavings that have been in there for six months. Yep. Yep. Um, and obviously the, the chickens droppings that are in there. Now I know that that's really hot. And that's normally really you hot. I was leaving for a year. So really. you wouldn't put that on? No. No? All right. <clears throat> uh, that one's written down for a year, really, chicken manure. Um, yeah. I've... I've Often used it sooner than that, but yeah. they say a year for chicken. Yeah, and I get that because it is particularly yeah. fresh. It's like yeah. really hot in it. So. But what I tend to do is like you <clears throat> with a deep litter. So by the time I take it out, um, a lot of it's rotted down already. Yeah, so you could sift through it. Not quite so bad. Yeah, um, and I tend oh, it's just to, dust, mate, down the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. I, what I actually tend to do is take the because I, I put wood shavings inside. Yeah. And then I put straw. Yeah, outside. which I've got. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the straw on the outside part, because it's covered. Yeah, it takes quite a while to right, run. Okay. When I used to have it, when the when the chicken run wasn't covered. Yeah. It used to get um, get really wet and smelly and horrible, especially okay. in winter times, grim. Um, but the fact that it's dry in there means it breaks down a bit slower, and I think that's not so bad. So I compost that. Okay. But then I'll put it on. So yeah. So anyway, I've been putting those beds to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And I might even cover them. I quite like the natural cycles of the rain and the wind and all of that that will come down. Yeah. But I might cover them just to stop the weed growth, you know, suppress the weed growth. Yeah. Uh, which is which is fine. That's just a bit of pollen, mate. We're just looking yeah. at this comb, unpicking it, and there's yeah. some red dots in there. Beautiful red pollen. <clears throat> so I don't know how that's got in there, but no, so they've packed stunning, a bit yeah. of pollen in there, yeah. Um, so um, that's one of the things I've been doing is getting those beds ready. But yeah. but it isn't all about putting things to bed. Certainly, I've been doing some successional crops because. Yeah. A lot when I when you start out, you do think, don't you, that it's all done and dusted, you know, in the summer. I grow some stuff, oh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it's gone, yeah, and yeah. then I wait till next spring. Yeah. But as you get into it, you realise, you know, obviously, people have you need to eat all year, and so that there are crops that you can sow and plant, and that they yeah. will do quite happily. Some you eat before uh, deep winter, yeah. you know. Some you pick and store to yeah. eat in winter, and then others even though they might look like really small plants, are quite happy being outside, they're over winter, and then they yeah. are the ones that put on all the rapid growth in the spring yeah. to provide you with food, you know, March time, you know, February, March, when it's yeah. when it's um, still quite cold, but that's all they need. So one of the things I've been doing is, obviously, as I've cleared some of those containers um, that I've been growing in, I've been putting things in there, which I know some are for eating now, yeah. and some are for certainly the spring, and I'm looking at things like kale, uh, which I've been planting, yep. plants that I've already started, yeah. you know, um, some spinach, I've got some spinach in there, lettuce, funnily enough, everyone thinks it's a summer crop, but yeah. but it is rock hard, isn't it? it much prefers the cooler weather. Yeah, actually, so that's, at the, and these are things that are all growing outdoors. Yeah. No protection, outdoors. <laughs> I've also got probably maybe 50 clumps of spring onions so it's about 10 little spring onions and at the moment they just look like grass you know mm. but i will take them right through and then in 
the spring, yeah. hence the name, yeah. <laughs> they will they will form that little gap. So, you know, my leeks, I could be eating my leeks now, they're all ready, yeah. but I won't eat them until my main crop onions are finished. Mm. And then those spring onions will just fill that gap, you know, between, I suppose, maybe March. I'll start eating them at the beginning of March, yeah. right through until the end of June, maybe when the first overwintering your onions are ready. So spring onions are another thing that I'll, I've mm. been... So in a plant, and it's not too late to do them now. No. If, if you if you didn't have anything else to do, you could go out, buy a pack of seeds, and sow your onions. Quite a few you know? things you could be sowing now. Parsley is one. You, you chat while I was well, this out. Little on. Chinese vegetables, mazuna, and that sort of thing you could be sowing. Oh, now. mate, oh, but don't the slugs love them. Pat Choi, yeah, like oh, yeah. one row, bang, <laughs> gone, gone. Yeah. But my absolute favourite is Cavallo Nero, the old Nero di Toscana. Yeah. Kale, black kale. And I've sown this. And I've got four or five plants of that, mate. I, you, I reckon you could be eating that all year round. Yeah. So they've started cropping now. I had the first crop of those at the weekend. Wow. So, 
So that's really good. And I've got some climbing beans to come after that. So hopefully I'll be able to keep a bit going. Are your climbing beans flowering? Yeah, yeah, they are, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. mine aren't yet. But like this week they will. Yeah. And hopefully there'll still be enough insects around for yeah. pollination. Well, there's plenty of bees flying still, mate. We know for a fact. We'll, we'll see them that. flying today. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, this, this weather will certainly help yeah. those. Yeah. Certainly yeah. help those. So that's gone well. But um, yeah, other than that, I've not done an awful lot in the garden. I have to be honest. I've been mostly tidying up and sorting out. And, I've done a few little experiments. So I'd, I'd go with the old ginger bug. Yeah, so go on, talk through that. Because so, I think we haven't really talked much about brewing, have we? Well, this, is, this isn't really, I don't know if you call it brewing. It's, it's kind of kind of a new new little rep, part of my repertoire in terms of microbes. So I've been making yoghurt for a while and sourdough yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, and I've been listening to various people talk about kombucha for a while. And I think I mentioned last time that my wife decided she likes kombucha, which is great news because yeah. it's tasty and it's really easy to make, really good for you. Um, and while I was there doing the kombucha, I thought, well, how about giving this ginger bug a go? Because I've heard about this as well. well ginger bug, yeah. yeah. Oh, now, so, you have to run this past me. So, this is basically the idea is that you buy, sorry, you make a ginger starter, right? Yeah. And you use it to make non-alcoholic fizzy drinks. So, oh, all right. Like the Americans would call soda. Yeah? Soda, ginger yeah. beer. So, that. yeah, but it's... it's a little like, bit famous five out, because we're yeah. we ain't American. No, no. Lashings of ginger beer. Lashings of ginger beer, <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> Um, so, so what I've done is I've got some like really good organic ginger from the from the health food shop. Right, lovely. Grated that up with some sugar, 50-50. Okay. Chucked in some, and it's really important that you don't use chlorinated water. So I chucked in some bottled water. Right, so you bought, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then that was covered with a muslin for about a week, I guess, maybe, something like that. Sorry about the noise, that's the extractor going yeah. around. It's all right, on. Just to stop the, um, any, you know, anything falling in it, I'll put the muslin over the top. Yeah. And then um, wait for it to start fermenting. Right. Which is yeah. done. So it's okay. going. Yeah. So I did that and it was like it was going well. And I was feeding it, I fed it every day for the first week or so. Feeding it, cool. Yeah. Uh, so again, you just add the same amount of ginger and sugar again. So it's a tablespoon of each. Shredded up ginger, tablespoon of sugar, into the water, give it a good stir, and then let it get going. And what you can see the little bubbles start to form when it starts to ferment, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea then is you can use that as a starter for, a bit like you would for a sourdough. You chuck it into, and I've done it this week with... Um, what I would normally do is a flat lemonade. I've got a nice sugar syrup. Yeah. Chuck the juice of a lemon in there. Mix right. that all up, and then put it in the bottle. And then in the top, I'd put about I don't know 50 to 100 ml of this ginger bug starter. Right. Yeah. I did that last night, and it's already started to, to ferment in the bottle now. Okay? Fantastic. So now I did make a mistake at the weekend. I put it in the fridge. I did. I had one go last week. Yeah. I put it in the fridge, and you were supposed to be able to do this, but it, it just stopped fermenting. It just completely stopped it. And I know it. You know, like with the sourdough, it slows it down. Um, but it just seemed to completely stop it. So um, I've taken it back out again for the time being. We'll see how we go. But I'm yeah. hoping that, like, maybe Friday night. So I'll if people wanted to get started on this, where could they get information? Is it all um, over the internet or what? Yeah, well, I think I used the website as a, a Zero Waste Chef, I think is the one I went to. But if you look, do, like, Ginger Bug Starter, yeah. Google that. There'll be a dozen recipes, and they're all, you know, much of a much. Right. Okay. I'm just going to wind this up a bit, because we've yeah. got a little bit. Yeah. But, and we're near this... We've done eight frames now in the in the extractor, and it's very nearly starting to catch on the bottom. Oh, yeah. So we'll have to um, spin it out. Start straining it off in a minute, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. So the next step that we're going to do once we finish spinning out these frames is we get a, a nice big sieve. And the idea then is we're going to sieve out the worst of the impurities. Now we're not too fussy with this sort of thing. I think this is That's really important. <laughs> really important, isn't it? Because if you buy honey from the shop, yeah. and people are like, well, why am I paying premium for honey when I can just go and buy it in a supermarket? Yeah, yeah. That's the big difference. Yeah. We're not heating it, yeah. so we're not driving off all of those 
what I would call those volatile floral oils. Or, or, or beneficial microbes that might be Well, there's pollen in there for yeah, starters, yeah, pollen, and we yeah. certainly don't want to strain that out. So we use one sieve, which is really coarse. Yeah. And if we're honest with you, that's for bits of wing and leg and comb and a bit of this, but... We truthfully, if it was just for us, we mightn't bother with that. No, we wouldn't even worry, would we? Well, we've eaten a lot already, haven't we, let's be honest. Um, so that, that, is, that is really... One of those cones is at it now. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And that wasn't because I was spinning it too fast. So I'll come out in the strain, though. It can just be washed out. Yeah, way. It's and sometimes you have to replace things as you go. Yeah, so we're going to run it through a nice coarse sieve just to get out the worst of the impurities. Often the stuff you buy in the shops has been really sieved to the highest degree you can imagine so there's no pollen actually in it at all which is one of the reasons why people buy pollen and I think it's going to help with the hay fever it doesn't yeah. um, the also other thing as well is that often what you're buying especially when you buy the, the really cheap stuff is what you're actually buying is processed sugar water the, the beekeepers will feed great big vats of sugar water to the bees yeah. uh, in order to try and speed up the process of making the, the well, honey they can turn it into honey but it hasn't got any other properties no, except no. shop bought sugar yeah, yeah. and water yeah, so it ends up tasting like sugar yeah, and, 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 and what is, I never used to like honey when I was a kid. No, no not did I. I didn't, I hated it, it actually. I didn't I, like it till I came out beekeeping with you that first time. Yeah, and I didn't like it till I went beekeeping and someone said, eat that. And yeah. I was like, no, I don't like honey actually. And he was like, well, try it, you might. And I was like, oh, actually I do. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm trying to get the worst, I've got a big lump of comb here, which has fallen in. All right, that's not So I'm going to just try and get that out. Yeah. And, uh, and there's something, now I've, I'm looking at that, and oh, that's an unwired. That's why. <sighs> There you go, so we should have cut that one off. supposed to cut that one and give it to the old boys at the kebab shop. Oh, right. In exchange for free kebabs, mate. Made well, a mistake there. Well, I haven't, have I? Because we've, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a load of honey. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too bad a mistake to make. Does that mean one of these others is also cut as well? I don't know, but we've done all, haven't we? There's another one there. Yeah, we've done all. Oh, never right, mind. It's done. So, um, we'll, we'll, we'll start to lift up now, but um, around this time of the year, the other thing that I've been doing, mate, yep. is um, I'm getting ready for hunting. You know, hunting, yeah. Yeah, because I, and I know that you can, you know, obviously rabbits, which is my main quarry, you know, yeah, yeah. you can shoot rabbits whenever, but I like going out around this time of the year, you know. Um, rabbits, re you know, reproduce a lot throughout the year, yeah. but certainly I want, if I'm going to start taking rabbits from the local fields of my farmland, um, I want those ones which have, you know, they've been feeding all year, they're good yeah. and fat now, don't get me wrong, and that, you know, and that's what I'm after. And I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really lucky to be able to go out and hunt where I do. Um, and, and I can be totally honest about this. Um, I, I, I like eating wild meat, yeah. you know, if I can get it. But I can honestly say I have as much fun on the days when I don't get anything. You know, the wildlife I see, just being out, you know, the contact with nature. Yeah. And it does touch some kind of primordial thing, you know, about... About stalking, I'm not much of a stalker, let's be honest, but I'm more about... <laughs> You've got a figure for him, mate, let's be honest. Mate, this is, this is the only time... It's radio, Al, you could at least pick me up on radio. Yeah, mate, mate, you've definitely got, yeah, I'm with Thug, mate. I'm with Thug, oh, hello. <laughs> you could have big me, I've got a face for radio, let's put it that way. And, um, I've got a face for radio, let's... Let's, let's put it that way. We're having a slight issue there, mate. <laughs> Alan's getting divine retribution for having a go at me. Yeah, straight in there. He's, 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 he's got stuck in the extractor. Um, so, one of the things that I'll do before I go out is I will... Um, I'll set the gun up, you know, I'll service everything. And um, I'll service the gun and get it all ready. So that it's all, um, you know, 
at its optimal working kind of condition. It's just about to go make that far corner. Yeah. Um, but I'll also go and practice a lot. You know, obviously, yeah. you don't want to, you know, I don't shoot all year round. Um, so do you have to get the sights all lined up and stuff like that? Yeah, do yeah. take the sights off, clean everything, uh, make sure that everything is ready to go. Because obviously, if once I do go out and start hunting, I want to be as effective as I can. And I'm certainly not trying to eradicate any, you know, I'm not really pest control. I'm just able to put a limit on some numbers. Yeah. But I'm never going to touch the rabbits that are yeah. on the fields. There are absolutely... Yeah, I might take one a week for maybe a couple of months. Um, and I, I hunt mainly at dusk. Um, and obviously... Is that the rabbits around all then? Is that... Yeah, very much so. In the morning or in the evening or at night. If, you can, if you've got a lamp and you can go you know, out shooting at night, yeah. um, you know, obviously looking at eye shine and things like that, and then obviously you have to approach and turn your, your lamp on to try and get your shot. It's very hard, that, yeah. I have to say. I find it much better, actually, when I can still see without using any artificial light. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously there are fields that I know, so I've walk, I can walk around and see, um, you know, some, some of the warrens or areas where I might be able to go. Is that the other cut one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I'm doing at the moment. And I, and I really enjoy that part of it. Again, like the honey, that's a very rhythmical thing for me. You know, I like, I like that time. And it just feeds into that, that self-sufficient vibe, you know. Yeah. Being able to go out and get meat and put meat on the table, however small, yeah. one rabbit feeds my family yeah. for one dinner, yeah. you know. Um, and absolutely nothing is wasted. Not yeah. one bit of it, yeah. because obviously I keep dogs as well. Yeah. Um, I haven't quite got into the the skins processing yet. And sounds waiting for the moccasins for Christmas. Maybe. Yeah, I've not really got into that, if I'm honest with you. Um, but that would be something I would be interested in doing. But I'll be totally honest with you. I think Mrs. Rofe might draw the line, mate. If I've got like rabbit pelts all over the place, I might have to find a different way to do that. Yeah. But I would be interested yeah. in it, you know. That's what um, it is, and it's, uh, often we talk about fitting in with the family lifestyle. Yeah. I can't imagine being able to bring that back into my house no. and my wife and kids are going nuts. No, no. Oh, no I totally get they're, that. They're almost vegetarian, especially my wife mm. and my wife's daughter. They're practically, practically vegetarian. vegetarian so yeah. It just wouldn't work. So it's well, okay. So, so, other ways, but. Yeah, so one of the other things that we were lucky enough to do this week was we had, uh, we got together with Carl, didn't we? Yeah, Over yeah. at Self-Sufficient Hub. Yeah, yeah. And I know, we'll, I know we'll talk more about that later because I know that you guys might be able to listen to what we've been doing with him. But one of the things that, you know, I learned from him by then going and looking at his YouTube channel, something I've been interested You're in. You're a big fan of YouTube, and I'm not, I, I, still I, on YouTube. Well, I, YouTube, I, you know, I? sometimes I might watch a couple of things in the evening. I've picked yeah. up a lot of skills on there because, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, if you don't know someone who can teach you a skill, yeah. I, I like to watch them do it. Yeah. Yeah, or read a book about it with lots of pictures. Yeah. But um, I like to watch someone do it. Yeah. And what was really good is I was watching Carl um, hunting crayfish. Okay. And it's something I've been really, really interested in. Really interested in for a long time. Um, and I've never really found the right place to go. But I've got a local river, the River yeah. Rover, and I've got the River Dudwell, which are like within walking distance of my house. And so uh, when I've been out walking the dogs in the morning, I've been looking at the habitats. Yeah. And I think I've found a couple of places where... It would, yeah. yeah, so I'll be exploring that this weekend. I'll be going down with my fishnet and my cat food and seeing if I can oh, bag okay. a couple. Yeah. I've done it before. I went out up to Yorkshire on an on a excursion with work. Yeah. Uh, we had a, I don't know, maybe a four, four or five nights up there, something like that. Yeah. And we were taken out by some you know, outdoor pursuits kind of guy up there. Yeah. Onto one of the rivers in Yorkshire. 
Right. And we were literally hunting them by hand. There were so many. Yeah. We're just reaching down. They obviously got a few nips doing it, but literally just picking them up out, mm. out of the water. So them in now, the people might not know about crayfish, might they? Oh, I don't know. I don't know why they would, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. So know. crayfish are a crustacean, a bit like a little lobster. Yeah. And um, they are, there's two, well, there's more than two types, but the two types in our country, there is a, uh, one which is a resident, yeah. which native, is the native, native species, one, yeah. Yeah. which unfortunately is nearly all gone now. Yeah. Because the, well, and that's the white crayfish. Yeah. And the um, red one, hang on, we're just lifting something. <laughs> and the red one, which is called the American red signal crayfish, is a, it's a bit of an invasive species, and it carries a disease which, unfortunately, the white crayfish has got no resistance to. Right. And so for about 20 years, people have been trying to limit the numbers of it and look at ways in which they could stop it and so on and so forth. But it hasn't really happened. But just some of the legislation around this, and I picked this up from Carl's video as well, is that if you actually catch crayfish, you're not allowed to put them back in. No. Oh no you know, so you've got, to, you've got to do something with yeah. them. And they're really tasty. Yes, they are really tasty. They're really good to eat. Um, and again, it's that source of natural protein. So, you know, I'm really keen to explore that. And, um, you know, I don't think you'd need that many for a decent meal either, you know. Well, no, I think we, we had a decent pot size for, for about half a dozen. Yeah, something. yeah. So, Just boiled them up, it was great. It was yeah, beautiful. so I'm really keen on trying that. Really keen on trying that. So, um, I found that what I think is the right habitat. And I'm going to go down and have a little explore with that, you know, next week. That's nice. definitely going to be something I'm going to do. So, and I would class that as hunting as well, you know. Yeah. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely into that role at the moment, and and that's really important for me, like I say. But part of it is getting prepared and getting ready for it. You know what I mean? I think a lot of it is about preparation, and we talked a bit about preparedness before, haven't we? Yeah. Very nice. Actually, it kind of all ties in, doesn't it? Yeah, we've actually preparing this in the broader sense of being prepared for. Those opportunities actually make sure you got what you need when the opportunity comes to go and find out about the crayfish. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's an yeah. Important part of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's an important part uh, of it. But again, no specialist equipment, just a sort of curiosity, really. Yeah, about yeah. Are they there? Can I do it? Wow. Um, and one of the things that I uh, was using, which I found, was a species database. Oh, right. It's called NBN. Alright, so if you just type that in, NBN Species Database or yeah. Species Finder, yeah. what it does is, it's just where, where people have seen certain specific species in their locality, okay, yeah. and then they just say, yeah, it's a confirmed sighting, I've yeah. got a picture, or someone verify it for you, and then that just gets added yeah. onto a database. So you can go on, and it's got like a satellite map, a bit like Google Earth or something, yeah, yeah. and you can see where in the country these species are. So let's just, for instance, I don't know if you know, I'm, I quite like birds. Um, the white, the white-tailed eagle yep. has been reintroduced yep. over the last few years, and there's a couple of pairs down in, um, near the Isle of Wight because obviously yep. they're, they're fish eagles. You know, they need yep. to have that kind of uh, habitat to live in. And then there's a few kind of going around the coastline, but you can go on there and see where they're at. Yeah. So one of the things I could do is I could go on and have a look at crayfish yeah. and see if there was any crayfish in my locality. Well, that sounds like a plan, because I always imagined they weren't in Sussex, because the rivers I saw them in up in Yorkshire were so very different to certainly the ones nearest me. Yeah, um, well, they are definitely in Sussex, yeah. mate. I can tell you that. Oh, now. okay. I can tell you that. Now. Yeah. Um, oh, that looks good, doesn't it? So, yeah, we're just opening the honey tap now. Do you want to get a photo of that, Al, as well? Oh, well yeah, yeah I'll put a photo up on Facebook group later on tonight. Um, so, one of the... So, I was checking on this site to see if my local river had crayfish in it, and it yeah. did. Right. 
But then, of course, it sparks my natural curiosity out. I thought, well, let me see what else well, is in my locality. Yeah. So I typed in wild boar. I bet they are around where you are, aren't they? Do you know what? There's a confirmed sighting yeah. within five-minute walk of my house in this bit of woodland. Yeah. And I'm not talking about hunting wild boar because no, no. I haven't got that kind of capability. No. But I'd love to see one in my life. Yeah, wouldn't it wouldn't be nice. I would love to see a wild boar just, you know, because, yeah. you know, I'm surrounded by farm farmland and hedgerows and yeah. sort of little coppiced, you know, pieces of woodland and stuff. I'd love to just, just see, you know, kind of like wild boar going through through the old undergrowth there or something like that. would be, like, really special. Yeah, we'll Really yeah, special. Yeah. Well, probably hear them more, but I might see evidence of them. Oh, well, definitely. Yeah. Just learning about things like that. And like I say, yeah, hunting, yeah, maybe doing some crayfish catching, but really it's about connecting, you yeah. know, with your locality yeah. and finding out things about your area and getting to know your area. Mm. One of the things that really struck me this week is I was watching Ben Law, who people might know from Grand Designs. He's the guy who built that eco house, he was a coppice worker, and he built his house out of wood. Um, and straw and all this kind of oh, stuff. One of the three little pigs. No, not like one of the three little pigs. Um, but I was watching him doing a lecture, and he was giving a talk about how he can say unequivocally that he knows his woodland better than anyone in the world. Yeah. yeah. And he had been out into various parts of the world, you know, different um, rainforests and stuff like that, where people had a real detailed knowledge of their locality. And something with that really struck me, because it doesn't matter, even if you're in an urban setting, mm. you can still know where all the roadside apple trees are, you can still know where the best blackberry bushes are, yeah. you know, you can still know maybe where, oh, there's fox, fox cubs in this field or in, in this bit of town, or, you know, you can still have that local knowledge of your area with regards to being a homesteader or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, you know, where, even the best, where's the best farm shop? You know, who's got the best eggs and stuff like that? Well, in terms of where I am, in terms of one over I can find some wild garlic. And, yeah, yeah, with the that's it. And the blackberries and the slows, and you know, you just build up a, a forage map almost yeah, of, well, of yeah. where things yeah. are. And I, and I've certainly done that um, down in your area with where the best fishing spots because yeah. I do a bit of beach fishing as well, yeah. don't I? Yeah. And certainly, you know, you get to know different marks and what species you might catch and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But that's something we could definitely do. Um, a, a proper podcast on is maybe you know using the sea or something like that because obviously well, yeah. we don't plan to be using down there. I don't use that nearly as much as I should. No, and that could be your your great your great push for your knowledge base. I think maybe I've next got year. Into cheese making, mate. That's yeah. what I've been meaning to that for ages. Cheese making. Yeah. 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 That would be just absolutely little, awesome. Little bit, real simple cheeses. I've done, I've done ricotta and stuff, and yeah. I really would like to do something a little bit more complex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, partly because being lactose intolerant, a lot of the cheeses that you buy I can't eat anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's one certainly one option. Isn't it? Is that something you need a lot of kit for? Or Not really. You, no, you just have to you just have to buy. I think you have to buy a culture and a couple of bits and pieces. Calcium carbonate seems to come to mind for some reason. So you need maybe about ten or fifteen quid's worth of equipment, I think, and that's about it. And you might want to press if you're going to try and do something a bit more complicated. But I've done ricotta with a bit of muslin and some lemon juice, mate. It's like really simple. I've done ricotta with stinging nettle juice. Oh yeah, because that apparently has the same effect. All oh, right. Uh, and then what I actually did is the stinging nettles that I had extracted the juice from, mm. I chopped them up and ran it through the ricotta. Yeah. And it was really good, it's I have to say. Yeah. Got a bit of a yard vibe going on. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I quite like to have a go at that, I have to say. And I, I did do, like I said, I did the ricotta. I've done a bit of mascarpone in my yogurt maker as well. Wow, well, that's the good. That takes a bit of time. But yeah, I'm not sure about that. It wasn't quite like mascarpone, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not quite the same. And the difficulty I have is, of course, getting hold of the goat's milk in the first place. Because mm. buying that from a supermarket is just not economical. No, you need some of the goat's milk. So it's not really worth the bother. So 
much as I'd love to do it, it's at the moment not not terribly realistic. But we'll have, yeah, we'll have a go. Yeah. We'll have a go. Yeah. So the the other last bit of information really about what I've been doing over the last week or ten days is the decisions around my allotment. And I know oh, at the yeah, end of the yeah, last yeah. Pro, uh, the last podcast, I spoke about maybe um, keeping people informed with that. <coughs> and what I've decided to do is I'm not going to put anything in until the spring. Yep. I'm going to take my time. Yeah. Um, it's got some raised beds in it. Yeah. But I'm actually going to take them out. You know, if I don't take them out this year, I'll be taking them out next year. So rather than sort of get by, I'm going to take those raised beds out and put new ones in. Yeah. And give myself a good five months to do that. And at the right time of the year as well, you know, it's it's autumn winter. Naturally, all of the weeds and that will die back to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. And so what I would like to do then is use that as an opportunity to rebuild the raised beds, you know, move the soil I've got in there, have to add some, you know, organic matter, manure, maybe leaf mould, whatever I can get my hands on. Yeah. <coughs> um, and then basically get it operational to, for spring planting. That's basically what I'm going to do. Um, but what, what's really important is that there's, that there's that feeling, isn't there, that you've got this bit of land and you want to immediately go out. Because I could have gone out and bought some cabbage plants and banged them in. Yeah, yeah. And that would have been great. Don't get me wrong. I would, I would have probably been more productive. Yeah. But I've got a bit of that going on already. I've got this crossover from the space I've got here yeah. and at home. So I thought, well, no, I'm going to, rather than that, I'm going to do it really well and do it really yeah, properly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm quite pleased that, that it's taken a bit of pressure off as well because I, I was a bit... I was a bit wired because I'd been up there and I felt like I should be going up there all the time and stuff yeah. like that since I've got it. But no, I'm going to take my time with it. And so part of that is that I've bought a little two by three shed. Yeah. Um, and that is literally for hand tools, you know. Yeah. That, that's all I'm going to keep in there. Yeah. You know, nothing nothing major. So I'll be doing some more, more landscaping work and, yeah, and, and, and building. I know you will have as well. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's good because that's another skill that comes back, you know, the woodworking and things like that that I like doing. Yeah. You know, that's a real joy and a pleasure to be able to do like that. And then I think that what that will do is set me in good stead for the next, hopefully, five, ten years of, or, or, or however long, yeah. So I've been doing that. Um, and then the other thing that I've been doing on my site here is I dug my main crop potatoes. Oh, yeah. And I had a really good return on them. Surprising return, if okay. I'm honest, because I didn't think I'd get nearly that many and of that size yeah. because it's been so dry. Yeah. And I certainly have not religiously watered those yeah. um, potatoes, but what it has done is it's kept the slug damage low because yeah. there's not there's not that you know moisture. Dry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's been dry, I haven't had a lot of slug damage. There's a few wire worm holes in some of the spuds, but we'll just use them first. Yeah. That don't bother me. And some of them are absolutely huge. Well, some of the ones I saw you digging up the other day. Yeah, like, wow. yeah. So if people, you know, are, uh, there's lots of different types of potatoes. One of the beauties of growing them, isn't it, is that you can choose your own varieties. Yeah. And I, and I grow something called Sarpo Mira, which is a disease-resistant, blight-resistant. It's supposed to have good blight resistance. And touch wood, it has. You no, know, one of the old boys on the allotment used to, dig, used to grow those because um, he, he swore by them because of the blight resistance. Yeah, well, they're well known for it. They were bred for it. Yeah, because you know. of the allotment, of course, once you get blight yeah. potatoes, they just... Yeah, just decimated, isn't it? So, yeah, so he used to grow those because it solved the problem. It does, yeah. yeah. And the Sarpo kind of family of potatoes you can actually get different ones there so you can get an early sarpo right, okay. you can get a, you know yeah. and they're a good all-rounder they don't make the best chips they're all right yeah. they're not they don't you know but they're quite a hard potato you know what yeah. i mean yeah. so if you're a big chip 
aficionado. Say it again. If you like chips, you could even parboil them first. You could parboil them, but you know. They do make really nice chips. Don't get me wrong, but it depends how you know how, how much time and effort you want to put into that. Um, so I, I I haven't weighed it, but I've got about a sack and a half. Okay, well those, so, those are Hessian sack ones. Yeah, 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 that you bought me. Yeah. Um, so I've got about a sack and a half. Um, about, about thirty kilo maybe. 30 yeah, kilo a lot of spuds for yeah. my family because we don't only eat potatoes. Yeah. But it has got me thinking onto that whole storage thing, you know. I'm lucky in that I've got a cool spot, you know, in a cupboard under my stairs, very Harry Potter, yeah. where I put my potatoes, and they're all right in there. They yeah. won't, you know, they'll be perfect in there. Um, but for some people, you know, it's about trying to also recognise in your house where it's good to store food, you know, and things like that, because that's the other thing. We talk about some of those crops that you eat now, going into winter, some that will grow on in the springtime, but part of being self-sufficient is certainly having the capability to store things, and whether that's drying them or, you know, you could get into the more complicated things about laying beetroot and carrots in sand or freezing, like, yeah. you know, I know that we both do, or canning like you do. Well, I've been thinking about, I was thinking about it the other day because obviously we've gone back to work now for the first time in quite a while. Yeah. You know, properly back into work. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously kids have gone back to school as well. And so life's got a bit busier, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. A lot busier, actually. It's gone from being, you know, like I could get out for a few hours most days for a bit. Yeah, you know, but spend a bit of time in the garden too. But we do do all of this holding down full time job. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's yeah. And that's where I'm back to. I'm back to the full time job. If I'm lucky, I could squeeze half an hour to an hour of an evening out in the garden, maybe. Um, otherwise, it's at the weekend, and you know, I'm lucky. My kids go out on a Saturday. They go dancing. They're having a nice time with their mum. She's happy to take yeah. them, which gives me a bit of time. All right. Yeah, that one's done. That one's done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that gives me a bit of time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what was I saying? So. The problem is, of course, then we're back at work and I don't want to be spending evenings cooking, but I also want to eat decent food. So I was thinking about the other day, could I get my pressure canner out, which I've not used, I've had it for about 18 months, I've not used it yet, but meaning to use it for ages. If I went down to butchers and got a job lot of whatever it might be, a bit of stewing steak or something, perhaps perhaps putting up a few jars or something. So on those evenings when we come home from work late and we're really busy and tired and don't want to worry about it, we just get one of those off the the shelf and eat that. Yeah. Um, It's just as an idea of something I might like to try, so... Uh, and again, adding to my skill set, which would be amazing. I love all that. Uh, it is all about skills, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, it, it just always seems to come back to that. Sometimes it isn't about all the stuff you've got. No. It's about what can I do with it. You need to have the right stuff to do these jobs. So I couldn't do that without a proper pressure canner. No, no. Um, whereas I could have done the water bath canning I did with the Passata last year without it. Right. Because you could do that in a nice big pot. And I've got some nice big pots that probably would have done the job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the pressure canner is a very specific piece of kit for, yeah. for canning stuff that's low acidity. Right, so I okay. could make up a ragu or a stew or a soup. I'd have banged stew today, mate. Did you? So, that so, so I put a picture of venison on the, on the Instagram and that yesterday. Yeah, right, so that was the first bit. Right, right. Okay. So what I did is that was four hours cooked in yeah. stock. Yeah. Right, that, yeah. that, they're venison shanks. Yeah. Right, so real, like, like a lamb shank, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So. I, well, you normally eat things I've just cooked in red wine or beer or yeah, cider yeah, or something yeah. like that. You know, stop, slow cook, yeah. fall off the bone, whatever. Yeah. But I thought I'd try something different today. Yeah. So I cooked it yesterday. Yeah. And then obviously let it go cold yeah. and then fr- put it in the fridge. And then today I finished it. Yeah. 
So in it up uh, in a pan, more onions, chorizo, tomatoes, oh. and paprika, oh. and then finished it with that. that and it took, like mate, going. it took it in a whole different direction. Yeah. So then you've got this fall off the bone venison. Yeah. Oh, mate, it was absolutely fabulous. And yeah. I've never tried it. It yeah. was just having a go. Herbs yeah. out of the garden, yeah. carrots, onion, all homegrown, everything yeah. homegrown. Amazing. Even the got you know all the garlic and everything. Yeah. I didn't make the chorizo. That's the only, I wish I'd made well, the chorizo. I didn't grow the paprika either. To be fair. <laughs> But, oh, mate, it was, like, really special. Yeah. And, and you know, going back to what I was saying with the hunting earlier, I did it real justice. Yeah, and I yeah, find yeah. that when I've got meat like that, which yeah. I've, I've... I can't just cook it and, you know, the connection with it and wanting to do it justice and honour it because yeah. it's because of, you know, I've taken his life or whatever's yeah, happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I find that I put a lot more effort and a lot more satisfaction. I get a lot more back from it. Yeah. But what was nice was... All my family ate that. Yeah. You know, something they would never ever. You know, where are you going to get that? Yeah. Where are you going? I mean, you can probably go and buy venison shanks, but I doubt it. You know, I've never ever seen well, them for sale. The occasional, and again, the occasional countryside butcher will have it yeah. in there, won't they? Yeah. So and venison. I imagine some of the ones in the town are bringing it in for that purpose, but. But the only thing it was missing, mate, which is coming now, was Me. those was those bolotti beans. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that would be what we, you know, be talking of. You yeah. know, going back to the the kind of preserving is that. Yeah. It's nearly Borlotti bean time harvest. Yeah. I've had a look. They're all right out yeah. there, aren't they? Well, shall we talk about that in a minute and just get this next super going and we'll Absolutely, come back and talk mate. about some Borlotti beans? Yep. No worries. Okay, so we were going to talk a little bit about drying beans, mate. We've uh, obviously... Got the old Borlotti on the go, haven't we? You were saying about... Yeah. Yeah, so if people don't know about Borlotti beans, they're like French beans or haricot beans, whatever you want to call them. But they're an amazing protein, um, as well as being just a delicious vegetable. Yeah. Um, And they are... I love them because they're one of those crops where you put them in, yeah, you have to weed them and water them and look after them a bit, but once they're established, they just do their thing. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, you just let them dry. Yep. You know, and the longer you leave them on the bean bean plants or the vines, the better. Yeah. You know, um, and they're this beautiful colour. It, it, you know, a red colour. Well, they call them fire tongue beans. Fire tongue beans. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you open, so basically you can eat them fresh like normal green beans, yep. or you can eat the, or you can shell them and eat the beans fresh. I yep. know you quite like that. I really do. Yeah. But I, I just absolutely love. Drying beans. It's one of them. Yeah. I, I know. It's, I'm sad, man. I can't help it. <laughs> You're not, but, I reckon if people are taking the time to listen to this, then they're like, they at least vaguely interested in yeah, doing that. Yeah. But, you know, I like nothing better than sitting down in my little caravan, you know, in, in mid-October, having yeah. having air-dried all of these beans out, yeah. and then just shelling these beans and oh. sitting down. And, of course, they shrivel up, because obviously yeah. all the moisture's gone out of them. Yeah. And a couple of big jars of those, I mean, we're talking a lot of food. Because yeah. when you rehydrate those beans, which yeah. you obviously have to do, soak them the day before, yeah. I mean, they probably treble in size, yeah. at least. Yeah. But they're one, of the, they're one of the only things where when you eat them, you think you're eating meat and it's not meat. Yeah. For me, anyway. Yeah. You know, they've got that meaty quality and that meaty texture. And they absolutely transform a lot of my cooking. Yeah. You know, my Tuscan bean stew... That's 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 one of my top recipes. That is, mate. Yeah. And that's, you know, something that I would never get tired of, uh, either having it on its own or with rice or over a jacket or chilling yeah. it up. 
and it's just one of those real good winter staples in our house. You know, yeah. we absolutely love it. So, um, so one of the things we've been doing is just checking those beans because what we don't want is any kind of rot to set in or damp. So you're looking for that optimum time, really. To well, this dry, the... hot weather we've had is really helping. It's got to be said. Yeah. On my few that I had at the allotment, and I didn't get very many at the allotment. Yeah. Um, they were dried. Oh, the, you got them the out? Day. Are they off? Uh, yeah, they went out there the other day, and I literally like I had maybe a couple of big handfuls of them. Yeah. I'm taking the whole lot off because right. they were done. They were. In okay. fact, to the point that when when they get really dry, you know that the, the pods pop, don't they? Well, that's how they would normally self seed, yeah. and, and, you... and the beans go everywhere. Yeah, and, so you want to get them I, just before that. Didn't I had you? a few that had gone already, so I was like, "Well, I mean, I better pick them up." You were scrabbling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 they're falling on the floor. Yeah. Right? But the mice had had them. And the beans ready. themselves are like beautiful, like little kind of speckled eggs. They're yeah. amazing, aren't they? They're yeah. Amazing to look at, really. Um, so that is one of the high points of my year as well. You know, yeah. I'm a real autumn person. Don't get me yeah. wrong. You know, um, I love autumn. It's definitely my favourite season. Not just because it's all about food, but I think it's quite up there. You know, one of the reasons, <laughs> if be, be truth be told. But it's that harvest time, you know. It's that, yeah. and it should naturally be a kind of time of plenty, but also a time of rejoicing. Really, do you know yeah. what I mean? That you've, you know, you've got some success, and you know, you're putting these things by to keep you going through the winter. It's a time like of celebration in terms of the, the, produ- the production of stuff, and yeah, you know, we've got various bits and pieces coming in. And, and it's not just the beans. I've been drawing other things as well. So I've been like, oh, right, go on. I've, well, my because obviously I'm clearing away this, this this space at the back of the garden, one of the raised beds. I could have left them going quite a bit longer yet, but I had about half a dozen chili plants out in the garden. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they go really well here in the south coast, no problem at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. What so outdoors? Outdoors, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um, I think probably get slightly bigger crop indoors, but I'm not not convinced by that. Well, I'll tell you what's been interesting. I've grown the same chilies for a few years now. Yeah. I grow cayenne. Yeah. which is a very long pointy yeah. chilli yeah. it hasn't got a great depth of flavour but it has got great kick yeah. it's got great heat yeah. in it you know obviously you've made it it's what cayenne pepper's made yeah. out of I presume yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah so I like those and I've always had great success with those um, but the other one that I've been growing um, and this is quite funny is that about four years ago I was in my local agricultural supplier and they do a few plants and things on the side mm. And there was this really dejected plant. It yeah. was obviously about, you know, it hadn't been watered, looked after. It was on, I think it was 50p, mate. No, okay. It was 50p and it looked dead. It just, yeah. it just, it, you know, it was probably in July that I bought it. Yeah. So anyway, I bought it for 50p, bought it home, um, just really, you know, soaked it. And then it produced a few chilies that year. Yeah. But of course I kept some back. Yeah. And I've just been growing that ever since. Right. And that's called so seed, do you? Yeah. Seed now that was an F1, right, Apache okay. it was called. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, Apache. So it's not F1 now. No. <laughs> I can no. tell you. So I've been growing it for four years. Yeah. But I don't know what it is, you know. No. But it's. Um, I it's, hope you like it. I'll tell you what, it's growing beautiful. Now they're much smaller. I'll have a damn cloth there, mate, if you want. Yeah, um, they're much smaller than the Apache, but they've got a lovely flavour. Yeah. Quite hot, yeah. but they've got an absolutely I've lovely flavour. They really they, they, yeah, and quite a compact little bush. Yeah. But the, what I was getting round to is that my Cayenne this year have put on millions and millions of flowers, yeah. and not one. I've got not one chilli on it. Oh, you're not? No. So you're short chilies because I really am not. Well, I'll have some, but I'll, I've probably got enough yeah. because I've still got, and, I, and I've, I've probably still got a hundred from last year oh, hanging off the ceiling, but I'll be throwing those, or, yeah. you know, it's one of the only. Well, well, they're dried, but it's the one thing I can't put. I can't give them to the chickens. No. <laughs> so what I'll do is actually, I've got a spare pepper mill, 
and I'll actually just put them in there and use them as a condiment just to grate them into food if I want a bit of something, you know? Yeah. Um, But I felt that that was quite interesting because it shows that sometimes growing more than one variety of something is a bit of a contingency plan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, if I hadn't have had that second plant, and I've literally only grown two plants, um, but if I'd have had both um, cayennes, I might not have had any chilli harvest this year, and I'd have been really gutted about that because I do like growing fresh chillies. And they're one of the things which I grow to self-sufficiency. I don't ever buy any chilies ever. Yeah. Because we don't eat, I know you eat a lot, but we I do, don't. But I, the problem I have is I like eating fresh ones. I like pickling the fresh chilies. Yeah. And obviously, you can't have fresh chilies all year round. No. You can freeze them, but they don't pickle up the same. I do right. like a quick pickle. The quick pickle is really lovely. Um, and I really like eating those, but I can only really eat those when chilies are in season. Right. Unless I can manage to pick up maybe at the supermarket or the green grocers or a farm shop or whatever. Yeah. If I can pick up a, a job lot for not too much money, yeah. then it's worth doing. But. But you need about like when you you know you go in those buy those little plastic packets of like got about four three chilies in it, three or four chilies in it. How much are they? Depends where you go. I reckon I, I buy them for about fifty p if I do buy them, but I haven't bought one for ages, so maybe I'm wrong. So when you think about how many chilies we grow, right? Well, yeah, it's crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. You know, we're talking. You know, for people who don't know, on a chili plant, I don't know, 60, 70? Well, mate, I mean, I had this. I went out and I cleared these last six plants I've got. Yeah, I've got this big bowl. Yeah. And it was full of chilies. Yeah. So, so I've started drying them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did a quick pickle with a few of them. I'd say I get 60 off one plant. Yeah, probably. Easy. Yeah, yeah. But that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. We think what they charge for it's bonkers. But it's all about shelf life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know they've got to sell it, otherwise it's a wasted product, isn't it? It is. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about is about making a, a dryer, isn't it? Just like a little drying cup, and it, you yeah. know, out of a cupboard so and a light bulb. I'm probably just going to ask for a dehydrator for Christmas. Right, okay. So I've seen them for like 40 quid or something. They're not expensive. That'd be good, wouldn't it? So I think I might go down that route. And but a lot of this stuff we could do is air dry. So I've been air drying herbs, like we mentioned that last time. Yeah. Been air drying some marigold flowers. Nice. Uh, I've air dried, my wife was given some roses by a friend of ours who came to visit a while back. Mm hmm. Um, and they started to go over a bit, so I hung those up to dry and I used the petals when I make some soap later on in the year. Yeah, lovely. Um, so that, that go in there and that make the old, all the old ladies that get that for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Ooh, they're lovely. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Homemade soap with rose petals and gets everyone going. Yeah, well, it's um, a nice thing though. Yeah, it's a lovely thing to be able to give to people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just for, the, for them on a bit of effort. Yeah. It's a nice thing to do, especially for people I know that have got everything they need. You know, there's plenty of people that you know like that. What, am I gonna, what on earth am I going to get that they might possibly want? Or actually... Something that they can't buy. Absolutely, mate. And, yeah, and also, you know, the quality and the, and the, and the product itself is going to be far superior, isn't it? Uh, well, that's usually the view I take, is if, if I can buy it, I can probably make it better. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so at least have a go, good go at doing so, perhaps not the first time, but eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've been making soap now for oh, a little over a year, I suppose. Right. And... Um, it comes out really good, I have to say. Well, I've had some. And it, that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of an old woman, mate, because I just love lavender. Lav- oh, do you? Well, I've dried some lavender flowers as well, especially for you then, mate. I well, I love lavender. We've dried bunches of it. I'll just hang it up in the house, put yeah. it in all the cupboards and everything like that. But yeah. I absolutely love the smell of lavender, and I always have. I think it has amazing, amazing therapeutic properties. Right, OK. You know, and, I, and it's well known, isn't it? You, lavender oil, you can buy yeah. it everywhere and use it as a calming agent and things like that and put it in the bath and all that and I'm well down with that absolutely yeah. absolutely totally and utterly believe that yeah. so um, that's something that we grow at home to dry yeah. but we just tend to hang it up or put it into little muslin bags and run it under the hot tap when we're having a bath and oh, stuff yeah, like yeah. that yeah. so we do a bit of that um, but as far as drawing goes the other thing I'd really like to have a go at is um, 
drying fish, mate. Oh, I like to do smoking fish. Well, smoking fish. Smoking yeah, fish, isn't it? Do a field smoker, mate. It won't take much. Well, it wouldn't, and I think that I might try and have a go at building some sort of smokehouse because I actually can't eat fish, as I know that yeah. you know, but I still go fishing because my family absolutely love fish, yeah. right? Um, I don't do course fishing. I don't get it. I don't, you know, if I'm not going to eat it, I certainly am not going to try and catch it. <laughs> no, not in a, in a in a kind of. I, I just don't actually get it. You know, no, nah, not at all. No. Um, so, you know, I do catch quite a lot of fish. Some are in mackerel, and then white fish in the winter. You know, yeah. the majority of that now is um, whiting. Yeah. Um, the odd pollock and maybe the odd codlin, but they're sadly much rarer than even yeah. when I started fishing. Um, but you get eels, loads of different types of fish that you can use and eat. Garfish, yeah. Um, a lot of flounder down in Seaford your area because yeah. of the estuary. Uh, yeah. Dabs, um, dabs little tiny dabs. place, but I yeah. wouldn't. You know, obviously there's catch limits in there. Yeah. Used to be able to catch bass, but um, there's a there's a ban on taking any bass now, obviously because yeah. of the poor numbers. So. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about line fishing here. Like, it's the mackerel, though. It's the mackerel season. We probably missed it now. I mean, we keep saying we're No, it's, it. it's hot enough that we probably haven't. Really? No, you'd still get mackerel. It's so warm, mate, at the moment. You want a nice high tide, about 9 o'clock, down in Seaford well, Bay. Is there one we'll have to look out for next week, then? Because There'll be, There will be one. We'll get some, without a shadow of a doubt. They go right on into October, mate. All right. Yeah. Let's do mackerel. it, because I'd love to do that. Well, I mean, I think that's probably the kind of fishing that most people do to get a serious catch, because... I'm not joking you, mate. You can you can get you under, go, pick you them can, up. You can you? get a couple of hundred easy. Yeah. But on your beach, the other thing is white bait. I mean, they just shoal in yeah. and they just get they just beach themselves and and you can eat those, mate. That's one of the things my wife will eat very happily. Really? Yeah, she likes fish. Deep fried white bait. Yeah. yeah. Well, you could definitely do that. Yeah. And of course, the other good thing about beach fishing is you don't need a rod license. No. Um, you do need to have some awareness of the catch sizes though, because that's very important. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly in this day and age, yeah, it's protect our fish we have to be it. really, really wary of what yeah. size we're taking because it's obviously, you know, making sure that the fish get an opportunity to reach maturity and stuff yeah. like that. We'll do a whole episode from down the beach, mate. Um, amazing, that would be great. And I might even get my mate to come and chat to us who does all of the, um, she's uh, really into the two minute beach clean. Oh, yeah, and she sure. does loads of stuff down in your neighbourhood yeah. about um, keeping you know, stock levels high, but also, you know, just keeping the beach clean and yeah. she, she knows far more about any of that kind of stuff than us. So maybe in the future we could do, um, you know, one eye on the environment kind of episode where, you know, we might want to be self-sufficient. We know a bit about food miles and stuff like that, but yeah. for people in an urban setting, you know, what could they be doing to minimise yeah. their impact? You know, even just sensible shopping and, and things to look out for. And, you know, I know she's got a lot of detailed knowledge about that, so that could definitely go, couldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think you're talking about people that we know, and uh, you know, when we started out, it's probably a good spot for us to finish tonight, really. Yeah. When we started out, one of the things was about people that we knew asking us about how we do the things we do. Yeah. Finding a way to get some of that out there, and maybe you know other people doing it, and get that message out as wide as possible. And yeah. Trying to build a British community, UK-based community of people that are doing similar things to us. And what's been really nice is that a good friend of mine that you also know, Mark reached out a little while ago to say that he was thinking about getting involved and getting an allotment and he's put some wow. bits up on our Facebook group and he's, you know, to be honest, as far as I'm aware at least, he's never shown much interest. In fact, probably I've shown more interest in his garden when I was hung over one morning. So <laughs> <laughs> when he first moved in at least, but it's really nice to see him really taking it on. And um, 
you know, he's got, got a little girl now and they're thinking about trying to make some space for her as she grows and that. And um, I think it does say to you, like we spoke about, when you become a dad, you, you, oh, mate, you take that as a responsibility, showing definitely. people where their food yeah. comes from, things yeah. like that, yeah. don't you? So, so he's reached out, sort of just asking some questions about bits and pieces and saying he's interested maybe in getting an allotment and where to start and what he do and all that sort of stuff, which is really encouraging. It's really nice, you know, obviously it's someone we know, but mm. part of it was about reaching out to people that we know, wasn't it, when we started? Yeah, very much so. We can so. spread that net wider and as wide as we can, and that, that can only be a good thing, really, because the more people that are doing things like this that we're doing, mm. it's got to be better for yeah. the environment. It's got to yeah. be better for their health. It's got to be better for their families. It's, you know, it's, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it's something that we should all be looking to do, at least some parts of, yeah. uh, as best as we can, what we've got. Because um, I think it's really very, very important that we do, especially in this day and age. And yeah. So it's really nice to see that. And We also, didn't we, I know I touched on it earlier, but yeah. maybe you could give people more information about yeah. Carl's and, and what we've yeah. been doing, because we obviously recorded an episode for his podcast. Yeah, which, well, we've gone on there, and I imagine that, that will come out at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, just to have a chat about what we're up to. And Who is he? Go on. Well, so, so Self-Sufficient Hub, Carl, is, is the fellow that set that up. Um, yeah. He started a little bit before us, um, so back at the beginning of the year. Uh, and he's a fellow that's fortunate enough to be living on a bit more space than we've got. Yeah. Um, but he's trying to get the word out there and spread that similar sort of yeah. idea to yeah. us very much. And um, that was just hooking up as well, now. That was yeah, another contact, well, was wasn't it? About, about making contact and uh, people talking. And probably the best thing to do is, is encourage people to go and listen to that episode of the podcast when it comes out. Yeah. Because um, I think that, that they'll probably get a better feel for what it's about. Yeah, give him a shout out. Yeah, but certainly, well. certainly looking at you know self sufficient hub and Carl and trying to you know do a bit of bit of crossover between the two of us. Because I think that the more that we work together to build the community, it can only be a good thing for everybody. Absolutely. And I certainly don't see it as being any you know there's no competition there. It's all about us. We're actually a bit direction. different though, aren't we? You know, I hope, so, I hope so. hopefully we're different enough that people will find something from both of the two podcasts. That's Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So so yeah, a bit about building the community and probably to say on that. That the Facebook group's up and running. Yeah. Uh, there's a few of us yeah. in there. Uh, obviously, yeah. we've got the uh, Urban Homestead in UK Instagram yeah. account as well, which I try and get some stuff. And I've had some there. feedback from people this yeah. week, which I passed yeah. over to you, didn't yeah. I? So I know people are out there, and, and it's really important for us, isn't it, that if people do like what we're doing, they tell us or let us know, even yeah. if it's just a you know, a, a, you know, know, a one-line message. or And if there's things that you want us to try and find out about and talk about. We might not know it, but we could probably find out about it. Well, I think if, if there's things that people hear us talking about and they want to know more about it, then absolutely yeah. we can talk about that. Uh, and also things that people think we missed or you know, perhaps they mate, dis- we, disagree with, we maybe know, even, we, you know. We know we miss loads. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's part of how we do it. We're a little bit slapdash, aren't we? It's part of the why we do the beekeeping the way we do it. It's not, yeah. you know, we're not organised enough and... And, you know, we haven't got the time necessarily to do it perfectly, but well, I can we tell, the best we can what we got. Done. I can tell people now, because I've just finished jarring it up. So we've done one super, yeah. and I reckon we've got two, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, four, yeah, about twenty. About twenty have yeah. come off of that one super. And, it, and there was a, there's one cut comb in there, yeah. one didn't have a frame. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but probably, I don't know, I'll count them up properly. But well, I'm nearly ready to do this second, second super, one, so, so shall we call it there for an yeah, hour? Yeah, so. to everyone. See you later, everybody. Right, so if you're not already on the Facebook group, get on the Facebook group, come have a look and have a chat with us, uh, and get on the Instagram account as well, and, and uh, come and share some pictures with us, all right? Boom. But nice to speak to you. We'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.